grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, how's it going? I hope you're having a great Thursday. We're almost there, right? Tomorrow's Friday, you know, and uh, it's been a kind of weird week. It's been a weird week. I'm just going to give everybody a heads up real quick is, is that... Um, I hate when it plays the music here. So. Um, in that, there's a lot going on in the news right now. So again, I'm, you know, I'm in a Comcast area, Xfinity area. And um, things may go awry during this interview. I don't expect it to because it's it's been holding up really, uh, really well all week. But uh, you never know. And like I said, it's just it's just one of those things that that everybody, their brother out here has Xfinity in this neighborhood. So I've noticed that on real high news days. Let me move my cord here a little bit here so I don't bend things. There we go. Hey guys, my oh, see, I came back on. What the hey? You can't come back on. Go away. I can get rid of that. Hang on, let me get rid of this thing. It makes me nervous. Okay. It should be off now. I'm talking to myself, right? Anyway, uh, so just a just a FYI warning is that there is some big news out there, political news, and uh plus the thing what's going on with the Oakland A's, you know, the stadium and all that. So we may have some weird internet things going on. Okay. All right, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. Just me and my squeaky chair. Anyway, <laughs> I like it. It adds character to the show. Anyway, uh, we are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have think you have a paranormal need, we can help you. We may take a while to get to you because the state is huge. All right? People don't realize how big California really is and how spread out stuff is in California. But... Uh, if we can't get you right away, which means it'll take us a couple of days, we do have uh, mediums on staff who can call you and talk with you on the phone. And in most cases, if it is paranormal, it they, they, they can settle things down for you until we can get out there. Okay? So that's one of the pluses. And you can find us on Facebook. You can find us at Twitter. You can find us on Twitch. You can find us over at TikTok. And on Facebook, it's just simply California Haunts. Or you can look up my profile, you know, with my name. Uh, over at, oh yes, Instagram too. I'm over on Instagram under ghosty gal. It's all lowercase. Uh, TikTok, we are California haunts. I believe we are either Cal haunts or California haunts on Twitter. I might have changed it. So you can check us out that way. And on Twitch, I know we're Cal haunts for a fact. So that's how you can find us. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of places or just Google California haunts program investigation team comes right up. You know, you can find us at our meetup. Anyway, I'm, I'm real excited about tonight's interview. Uh, Stephen J. Silva is going to be talking about easy communication. He has a unique story to tell because he comes from the background. I don't want to say anything. It's, you know, I don't want to screw up his story either because you know you guys know how I am. But uh, he, he 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 he's an unbeliever in uh, in extraterrestrials. But he also has an interesting story to tell. You know, it always looks like my eyes are shut because the camera is above here. And so I tend to I tend to look at the screen. So if you guys think I'm dozing off or something, I'm not. It's because the camera's up there. Uh, someday when I get my new chair, I can raise myself up a little bit. But anyway, um, I, I want to welcome everybody here. I do appreciate you all coming tonight. And uh, 
I hope they have a lot to share with you. Karen Clark and I, um, uh, medium Karen, our, one of our lead field psychics, Karen Clark and I, who appears here on uh, what occasionally on Wednesdays to talk about the opioid epidemic. Um, she and I are going to be starting some shows up on, on TikTok. And if any of you do have a TikTok account, come on over and find California Hunts Radio. Because we're going to be we're going to be doing she's going to be doing readings we're going to be talking ghost stories and all kinds of stuff on TikTok so we're looking forward to getting that started and so uh, she told me today she was getting her hair done <laughs> it's kind of cute uh, you know so so we can do that and I and, and I'm on TikTok every Sunday when they don't ban me um, for reading a ghost oriented story you know it's sometimes they're sometimes they're paranormal paranormal to the point that they're true sometimes they're not they're like ghost fantasy stories but uh, I'll be reading Anna Maria Manalo's The Night Visitants starting Sunday. So that'll be over on TikTok and over here. So we're going to be dueling. But uh, I am already a presence on TikTok. And, uh, and as you guys know, if you see my shorts, I really have fun doing shorts. I just don't have time to do them all the time. Anyway, welcome, everybody. The other thing I want to announce is there is a class Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific where I'm going to be teaching protect advanced protection techniques. And I'm going to teach you how to make medicine bags and things like that and uh, work with your chakras for protection. Now, if that it does interest you, uh, something else I was discussing with, with one of my producers yesterday, that I'm thinking about making custom medicine bags for people that you can put in your pocket and carry around with you, you know, if you feel uncomfortable making one for yourself. Uh, some will be just protection bags, and but I can take orders on particular things that, that you're interested in. Maybe you've got health problems that you might want some some kidney stones in there or, you know, so, something for your blood pressure or things like that, I can do that, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just starting to get the pricing out for all that stuff. If you guys are going to be interested in that, I, I can do that for you. And that adds protection. The first medicine bag I ever had was real simple. It was a friend of mine that made it that was that was, that was was on my on my film team. And she just made it out of, out of a small cloth bag. And then I got to thinking, well, my grandmother, um, what's a curandera? And so, you know, that's why I'm trying not to insult any, any of my Native American friends because normally, you know, medicine bag is, is a Native American, th you know, medicine thing. But since my grandmother was a culandera, you know, I think I should, uh, you know, that, yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to be making those for people if, if they want them. And I don't know what I'm going to charge yet for them, but uh, yeah, to make medicine bags. Yeah. I'm also going to be doing stuff with candles. I'm going to be doing you know, protection candles. I'm also going to be doing stuff with, with talisman and things like that. So it's just starting to get rolling. And uh, I'm real excited about this, this, this new addition to California haunts. Okay. Let's get to, Oh yes. The Patreon. See, I forget about it. I got all this stuff going on our Patreon. We're looking for members of our Patreon and, and the Patreon has some really cool extras for you guys. And that is that, you know, when I do a pre-recorded video with you know pre-recorded interview with somebody, I like to put it, you know, I like to get the Patreon members like a week to two weeks advance on it. So instead of having to like come here, say on a, like Monday, I'm going to be running the, the, the Tinkerbell video. So instead of having to wait till Monday to see it, you guys can see it right away. You know, I'll let you know when it's available. So I've done that with like four videos uh, leading up to now. And I think I think the members I do have are enjoying that. I also am going to be doing interviews with my, like my friends Lynn, Lynn Monet and Nancy Matz, um, just extra interviews uh, with some of my guests where maybe you watch the show and there's questions that you wanted to ask and you either forgot to ask them or didn't have time or were too, were too shy to ask in the chat. So I'm going to be doing that. So that'll be an extra incentive to get one-on-one -on -one with uh, 
the guests here on the show. So that's another incentive for the Patreon. Another uh, incentive we're offering is that for you know, once we start building more numbers up over the Patreon, I want to do giveaways, and it's going to be really cool. Maybe medicine bags, you know, protection stuff, or uh, California haunt stuff, you know. So I'm trying to figure out giveaways for you guys, or maybe there's a particular show you like. I can give you a DVD on or something. I don't know, but uh, just do stuff like that. And the, and the more active we get over there, the more I'm going to offer as far as the, as as far as what what you guys get for being members. So check us out at Patreon.com forward slash California Haunts Radio. All right. That being said. You can also find us, and I forgot, guys, on YouTube, and that is youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And the neat thing about the YouTube is that there's 631 videos over there. We've done 631 shows in this format in the last few years. And, I mean, there are, the topics just are every, every, everything you can think of. Plus, I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist. So I like to vary my topics, right? I'll do news items. I don't, I, I don't do politics, but I, I will do other news items. You know, like like the opioid epidemic. I know that's kind of political, but I, I, I have personal knowledge of what's going on with that. So, you know, um, I'll cover that and and other stuff like uh, like spousal abuse and things like that because I, I like to get the word out for stuff, right? I like to help people. That, that, that's my gig is I like to help people. That's why I go send. I can help people. So check us out at our YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe because uh, you subscribe and, you know, that'll let you know when these videos are coming out. If, if you're not over at our California Haunts Meetup, YouTube is your best bet to find out, you know, when we're releasing videos or you wait till they come up on Facebook or whatever. But I mean, YouTube would be your best bet. Plus, I'm active on the community page over there. We have a go. We have a uh, ghost or a uh, paranormal question of the day. I had, I'm going to be getting I, I started it and I kind of got slowed down because other stuff was going on. But tomorrow we'll have another paranormal question of the day to answer. And I also have a lot of polls over there about shows. So. Yeah, so, you know, the, it's a place where I'm, I'm really interactive with people and whatnot and another thing i did was i'm starting to uh take all the files all these shows and i'm putting them in in folders so you guys can find them better so like tonight's show will be under aliens and alien you know you know ufos and alien abductions things like that so if you if you want to find like a certain guest that i've had on just go to each folder it makes it a lot easier because when you go on the main front page you know of YouTube, well, you're going to see is a big jumble of shows. And I've had that problem where I want to search a certain guest out. Like if I'm updating the website, you know, for the show and I want to search and I want to search out a certain guest. I have that issue where it's just, it's so confusing to go through there and have to figure out one month this way. All the shows are in folders. Okay. Let me double check a message I have here and uh, we'll get on with this show. All right. So we're going to end up reading tonight. I'm going to have to figure out what the hell is going on with my mic. I don't know why it's doing that, and it shouldn't. So here we go. Chapter 1. A Dark but Turbid Sky If you look at the vast hollowness above you like an overturned bowl, you'll see that on a clear night... I don't want to be blasting you guys into my voice. You'll see that on a clear night, there's a lot of black space out there in between all those all those pinpricks. Where am I at? I just got lost when I moved it up. Huh? It's going to be like that. Okay. All pinpricks of light. Each light represents a star that took millions of light years to reach and register in your cornea. Your brain replies in a synaptic dance that there's a moon, a star, or a planet out there. So far away, the light from those stars took thousands of lifetimes to reach you. Let me turn this mic off. There we go. I've never had that happen before. It's just going to bug me now. Okay. Some much larger than the planet we're on. Then, one day, you're confronted by the inevitable 
in that one unexpected moment in your life, you see something you can't define. When you do, when you entertain the implausible that only a few say it must be, you know what you've known all along in the back of your mind, that it was, in fact, true. Or it is that you're forcing yourself to make a plausible, to make plausible the implausible. The impossible, according to furiously outdated science textbooks, screaming to be revised and updated like old shoes needing to be rehealed or simply tossed. One day, a single moment may define that one crucial thing that's your own currency, or one crucial thing that you've been searching for in the solitude of your own consciousness. You know that the universe has conspired to make this moment just for you. Then you want, then you wonder, of course, if you just wanted it to be, be the answer. Perhaps it was just wishful thinking to justify a hypothesis, a belief, perhaps even an inner knowing that you want confirmed. An awfully wonderful moment when every cell of your body, every energetic part of your soul, untaps itself from your head and yells, yes, it's real. It must be. They've been here and are still here. Here on my planet where I sleep, dine, and watch my child and grandson grow, where one day I will know everything because I would have died. Upon death, our souls leave the confines of our brains, and suddenly, suddenly we see reality as it truly is, like the universe, limitless. They are limitless. One day, we too will be limitless. Wishes do come true. I know because one day the universe heard me. First, it came in the form of a Facebook group who meditated on intentions in order to see sightings of flying unknown aerial phenomena or UAPs. Then, a woman from an obscure and lonely part of Connecticut. Someone I would get to know and placed me on a voyage that was inexorable. Inexorable. <laughs> it's that kind of night. The universe began knocking on my door and it wouldn't stop. It just kept happening. Dad? Tom's blue eyes blinked open, awakening from his reverie. Huh? Dad, it's almost 11. Tom, sporting pressed jeans and a green sweatshirt with his silver haircut short, lean and trim in his 70s, turns from the Adirondack chair. He sits up and glances up at his son, Tim. His dark brown hair and a crew cut. It frames his son's warm smile, but his eyes betray concern as he looks down at his dad. The outdoor lights behind Tim eliminated part of his son's hair, but his face and body stood in shadow. Dad, you okay? We were waiting for you inside to see this movie. Tom looks down at his watch. He, he jets up from the chair, and Tim catches an arm. Sorry, son, I was meditating, I think. You've been out there, or out here since after dinner. You're cold, Tim adds, as he feels his arm and attempts to help him up. Tim bolts from the sliding glass door connecting to the dimly lit family room. Tim follows him and as a small white dog, fluffy and energetic, greets them with a sharp bark, Chrissy. Through the glass, a flat screen television flickers with a movie. Across from the TV, a woman with blonde hair wearing pink sweats sits on a wing chair, absorbed in crocheting. She pauses to look up, brows fur furrowing. She is no longer young, but still pretty. And the whole in a wholesome way, as she looks up with concern, the lights flickering from the screen eliminates her serene face. Rita, Tom's wife, companionably, 
The two men sit side by side on the adjacent sofa as Tim grabs the remote, changing the channel. Content now. Oh, sorry, content now. See, I'm always thinking in terms of like creating content. Content now. Rhea looks down and continues to crochet. My God, this day is just getting better. Tom glances past the television. Fireflies dance on the deep expanse of grass past the stone patio. Tim touches his father's arm, and Tom turns his attention to the show. Oh, there it goes. In progress on, on, on the History Channel, the dog settles on Tom's left to be petted. It was 2022. Chapter 2, Kanohari, New York. I hope I said that right. Spring 2009. The young man in his late 20s, dressed in black slacks and a pea coat, sauntered past Tom, paused, walked past him again, then finally stopped. The sun had just begun peering behind the man's head, obscuring his features. However, Tom didn't see him as he sat outside Starbucks, absorbed in a folded newspaper on the small steel bistro table. Tom's eyes were focused, his head down as he sat perusing the paper, unfolding it. He sipped at his tall latte, a flat white, as black coffee with boiled milk was called. He had sniffed it earlier with distaste as the girl had given him the wrong drink. He preferred his coffee black with a little milk and no sugar, but he sipped it anyway, amazed at the absurdity of a $6 coffee, uh, coffee cup, which he felt he now had to suffer through. Actually, he hated Starbucks. The coffee was too bitter for him, like the starch shirts he used to wear at Honeywell. The shirts bit at his neck when he placed a tie on, like the way the coffee bit at his gut. Its, acid, its acidity giving him that familiar welling feeling that was a precursor to heartburn. At least now he knows how to distinguish it from a heart attack, which he had been warned around in his family. The rushed meals and the multiple deadlines made for a leap in his blood pressure when he entered middle age. It was a signal that his work was getting to him, and it was as good a reason as any to finally retire. Tom had made arrangements to meet someone and carelessly offered a coffee house out of convenience. A meeting was a meeting, and he was intensely curious, but didn't want to commit to a meal as the man was a stranger. Then something caught his eye on the paper as he leafed through it. Give me one second here. Make sure, I don't know if you guys can hear me well, because I, I did futz around with the sound here. Okay. A small art, article on the lower half of the third page, which he almost missed. The article showed a photograph of Tom standing at a podium, proudly in front of a microphone. One hand was raised and frozen in benediction to an unseen crowd. Tom had just begun reading the article, almost obscure and irrelevant, among the other articles that made up the local news. The new art gallery opening. The visit of a senator. A strange break-in at a dime store. When he heard the characteristic shuffle of shoes of someone who was unsure and someone staring intently at his head, Tom turned. The man approached. Shorter than Tom's five foot ten. He appeared reluctant, almost frightened, and exuded an aura of one who may be about to run. Tom felt like he should say boo, but he had driven the 30-minute drive at 7 in the morning to meet a man at this coffee house he detected. He detested and had to awaken earlier than usual since he retired. Tom took in, took in the man's polished shoes, a black and shiny affair, obviously military. 
The gay pea coat, impeccably maintained, the button still glinting, as if he could almost see the store tag still attached. The man was, grasped, was grasping a, a hat of sorts. It appeared navy, Tom thought, unable to place it. He was, after all, a security specialist, as any well. So he wrinkled his eyes, attempting to place the military bearing as he assessed the man. Tom extended his hand, surmising it must be Dan, the gentleman who contacted him with a tremulous voice a few days after the conference. The same conference which had made its way into the local newspaper and caught his attention just seconds before. The man almost grinned at grin of swords, one of which left one side of his lip askew. Tom noted his other hand had a huge binder, and the man had to move it to the hat hand. In that process, the man dropped the hat as he shuffled to shake Tom's hand. Tom bent down in one swift movement to retrieve the hat, his jeans accommodating his long legs. The hat, with its laurel leaves and eaglet's wings, revealed the man was in the Coast Guard. I'm Daniel. Please call me that. Tom Conwell. May I? The man pointed to the table. Of course. The man appeared relieved to place the heavy binder, a dark blue affair, fairly new, on the small table. He sat as if one more minute standing would set him on fire. Tom sat, eager to see where the conversation would lead. I, uh, was really impressed by your presentation. Thank you. I follow you. Thank you. I brought this along, if you don't mind. Of course. That, that's why we're meeting. I'm curious. The man opened the binder. Tom's jaw dropped in surprise. Or opened in surprise. Daniel began talking excitedly. You see? I do. Please tell me how. I will, I will. On the binder's pages were photographs of orbs. Tom found himself turning page after page of various photographs of the objects. Tom was hooked, trying to process what he was examining as, as the man babbled and mumbled, observing Tom observe what he already knew would intrigue him. Observing the observer. Tom turned to a page of bright red orbs about the size of his fists against the dark blue sky. Where were these taken? Oh, outside my house. Tom turned the page back to several earlier shots of orbs. Some a lighter shade of pink, some orange. All of them? Um, yes. Where do you live? Not close, but it's worth seeing. Tom leaned back on the steel chair as he studied the man for the first time. I have more to show you. More photos? More evidence? For your blog? You know about my blog? The man nodded. That's what interested me to finally meet with you. Tom looked up momentarily to peer through the Starbucks shop front, where another man in his 30s, Chuck, sat perched, sipping coffee, watching them. Chuck nodded in reply to, the, to acknowledge Tom's fleeting glance. Tom's shoulders slackened as he relaxed. He looked down and continued to examine the open binder, but Dan's hand reached to close it. There's more at my house, please. Tom looked up to find the man intently staring at him with deep curiosity. Steel green eyes with brown flecks. Tom signaled to Chuck behind the glass front. Chuck abandoned his stool in reply and emerged from Starbucks. Let me see. And he emerged from, yep. Dan glazed at Chuck perturbed. Daniel, this is my associate Chuck. Chuck, a friend of his, of his son Tim, extended his hand and Dan took it reluctantly. Chuck, we're going to take a trip to Dan's house. Dan nodded, appearing annoyed. Please call me Daniel. We'll follow you, Daniel, Chuck replied, flexing his biceps. Tom turned the yellow Volvo 
its motor purring smoothly as he stepped on the gas to ascend a winding road. The, ma the macadam appeared rockly, uh, rocky, rockly. The asphalt broken in places. Linden, green ash, and shorter sugar maple trees waved from the edges of the road, betraying a stiff wind. The harbinger to a spring storm. He let off the gas pedal as he swiftly evaded a large pothole on one, on one, on one lane road. Tom observed the less frequented road, which appeared unused and almost in disrepair, as his car gained elevation. He watched the man, who called himself Daniel, a few yards ahead. The Coast Guard hat bobbing as if it were too large for his head. More foliage covered both sides of the narrow road like a canopy, the sunlight emitting a dappled glow in the, in the late morning sun. Tom glanced at the digital clock on the dashboard, wishing the car was, never, was, near, was, was, was new enough to have a GPS. They'd been driving for over an hour, and he dimly hoped Rita wasn't worried. She usually was, and he glanced at his cell phone on the seat next to him. Tom made a middle note to text his wife to let her know he was safe and looking forward to the shepherd's pie she had brought for lunch. Ever since his heart palpitations, she had been concerned about his travels without her. Rita always brought, bought shepherd's pie every other week, as she knew it was his favorite from the local farm store. They made it like the British, with ground lamb, like the original. His right hand itches to take itself off the steering wheel, needing almost painfully to reach for it and text her that he was all right. She should be up by now, as she slept due to staying up all night, a habit she formed after her retirement. Their first meal together was lunch, a highlight of their day. If Blake, his grandson, could text and drive, he could too. But that would be against what he, what he told him not to do. What he cautioned them, his son too, not to do. It bothered him that he was about to break his own rules. Blake loved shepherd's pie as well. When he stopped in during his lunch break for a weekly visit to regale his grandparents with his latest ghost hunting adventure, there was the hot pie sizzling in the oven, waiting, waiting, delivered faithfully by Uber Eats. As Tom followed the stranger ahead of him in a dark blue Audi, his thoughts turned to their last ghost hunting adventure together over a month ago with Tim. It was time to schedule another ghost hunt, a time to bond and catch up with his son and grandson. Then there was Chuck, who was driving behind him. Tom realized as he caught himself in the daydream that he'd known Chuck almost as long as his own son. He trusted him like the trees that sheltered him from the sun's heat during the summer. Chuck was like family and felt his presence as a welcome addition to his small brood. The onrush of competing thoughts of family were interrupted when suddenly Dan, Daniel, ahead by a car length, braked and signaled left. Tom looked up at the rear view and spotted Chuck dutifully following him in his reliable Suzuki Trooper a relic from the days of when Suzuki still sold vehicles on the East Coast. Tom clicked his signal as the, main, as the man turned his car into a small, unpaved driveway. Behind him, Chuck followed his signal left, mimicking his movements. At the end of the driveway, a small, older house, unremarkable, nondescript, in its beige-yellow siding and aging brown roof welcomed them. It had a deck on the main floor, painted red at one time, but the paint was missing in spots. The front door peered at them, also old. Weathered and shut from the center of the deck. It faced the road with one bay window and a smaller window on the other side. The house appeared to be about 50 years old and in need of repairs. No curbside appeal, Tom thought, thinking what Rita 
would have probably said when she gave guided tours of the countryside and the historic homes of New England. Tom slid the Volvo next to the sedan, a shiny black affair, with a Coast Guard emblem on the dashboard. The emblem looked new as he hastily glanced at Daniel, who was grabbing a laptop and a huge binder from the back seat. He watched as Chuck pulled his trooper in backwards, so he was facing the exit. Smart, he thought. A hasty exit, made easier by backing in. Combat position, Tom thought with a grin. Tom and Chuck followed the little man in the peacoat. Tom sensed an empty silence and surveyed his surroundings, noting there were no immediate neighbors to the left and right of the house. Trees like elderly doe-wuggers towered over the home on both sides as he continued to observe. The highest branches reached out over the roof behind the house as if sheltering the decaying roof from the elements. The degree of darkness towards the back of the house only indicated that the backyard opened onto a forest of, of, of extreme death. Tom silently chastised himself for not taking in the road signs, which would have told him what town or even what, what state they were in. He realized with some trepidation that he was not familiar with the area. He glanced at Chuck, who had walked abreast of him as Daniel unexpectedly descended down a few steps into what appeared to be a basement door. The detritus of leaves from the previous fall still littered the lowest steps to a recessed door, with an old knob that appeared about to fall off. Chuck intercepted the door to hold it as Daniel pushed it open, towering over their host, his six-foot-two frame almost reaching the top of the wooden door. Tom paused at the threshold of a shabbily furnished room with a low ceiling, the light, a fluorescent strip, markedly lending an aura of coolness, almost a sterility to the small room. Chuck unconsciously reached into his, ba into his back, which only Tom knew about. Chuck, an ex-policeman, was armed. Tom took a breath and entered, unconsciously pulling his, his spring jacket together. The coldness came not from the temperature, but a sense of a house in, dis in disuse. Dust covered the sole sofa, an absent relic from the 70s adjacent to a steel bookcase, which held office supplies of swords. The supplies all looked new with no evidence of dust, unlike the sofa. Chuck sauntered over to a closet on the far wall. Tom, Tom wondered if he intended on opening it to check if anyone's clothing was still in it. Chuck paused, but then walked through the, an open doorway. Tom, that, that Tom had not noticed, as Dan busily shrugged his coat off. Through it was a small kitchenette, then an adjoining door, partly open. Chuck walked to the adjoining door. Chuck turned and winked at Daniel. Your girlfriend's or your mother's? Tom followed and peered. The room had a single bed. It looked like an in-law apartment. My girlfriends. Tom followed Daniel back to the living room area. Chuck looked up at the ceiling. Old paint waved away at the corners as if begging to be peeled. No guest had stayed there for a while. Chuck gave Tom a knowing look. Then Daniel turned back to Tom. Do you want to see some aliens? Tom momentarily, taken off guard, stared at the man's head just inches from his face. I suppose I do. Daniel led the two men back to the bedroom. They re-entered. Near the bed, a cheap wooden desk stood. Daniel flicked on a monitor from a small desktop. The screen came to life, and he proceeded to log on, then summoned both men to approach. On the screen appeared to be the side of a house they were in. The side of the house they were in. It showed the image of an orb-like object, translucent, penetrating the siding, and entering the house. 
Tom watched the man replay the video for their benefit. Silence. Daniel then pulled a box from beneath the bed and opened it. There was a bunch of still photos retrieved from the CCTV camera. More orbs, more orbs of different sizes. Daniel, yes? Did you ever do any research on the land this house sits on? I'm afraid not. Tom made eye contact with Chuck, who looked on and impressed. How do you know they're aliens? Daniel stared back with a blank look on his face. You want to see a ship? Like lights in the sky? No, close up. Daniel shrugged on his coat, exited the house, fumbling with his keys. Tom sensed excitement. Tom followed with Chuck at the rear, curious about the man's last statement. The ship. Tom watched as Daniel climbed the wooden steps up to the main floor of the house, which appeared only accessible from the large deck. Tom swiftly ascended behind the man, noting the banister seemed loose, in need of fixing. Let's not dwell on that, he thought. Like a good partner in crime, Chuck shook the banister gently as he climbed behind, as if to acknowledge, yes, I noted that too. On the deck, Daniel wrestled with what appeared to be a large set of keys, jingling in his haste to open the door. He tried one key, but it didn't fit. Then another. Chuck eyed Tom as he stood next to him behind Daniel. Daniel appeared restless by the minute as he tried one key after another. A breeze blew a fragrance barely perceptible, but it was there. It reminded Tom, seizing him in the moment. When, as a paranormal investigator, he knew what the sudden direction of a scent may mean. Scents from unknown sources in lonely places that harbored spirits stuck in transition. Tom inhaled, holding on to the scent as it faded, as they waited for Daniel to determine which key fitted into his front door. Funny that. The door yielded to a lackluster set of furnishings, a whispered Kmart, which Tom scolded himself unconsciously as he stepped in. Did you expect a palace? He pushed his elitist thoughts from his head, his own family were hardworking professionals who would have scolded him for such judgment. Despite the lower-end furnishings, a pair of mock Tiffany lamps sat pretentiously on two presswood end tables, bookending a long sofa in gingham print. The sofa looked new. The fabric appeared fresh. The coffee table, square and footed, seemed capable of holding a tray of petite fours and a silver tea set. Service. It looked heavy and well-made, which contrasted sharply with the rest of the shabby furnishings. The lamps were on and shined with a glisten that reeked of Windex, and lent an aura of antiseptic newness in its attempt to, appeal home, to appear homey. Chuck nudged Tom. He followed his friend's line of sight and saw cameras poised hanging from the edges of the ceiling. He noted two in the living room, CCTV, another two in the kitchen beyond. Daniel busied himself making coffee, fiddling with a pot. Then he put the pot aside as if giving up. He opened a grinder poured and poured coffee beans, fragrant and strong, in the stale room, awakening it from a mediocre slumber. The beans cascaded into the grinder, too fast it seemed, and some bounced like jumping beans onto the linoleum floor. Tom looked on. Realizing the man's movements showed the awkwardness of someone new to the act, as if he had not rehearsed it or never made coffee in that fashion before. Daniel then proceeded to pour hot water into a vessel, placing a cup that appeared to have never been used underneath the portafilter. One would expect cracks, 
perhaps even the suggestion of datedness similar to the rest of the house. The porter filter gleamed with a newness. He dug in the empty cabinets as he vainly looked for, for more cups, mugs, paraphernalia that would denote a normal life. There were none. As far as Tom could see, that piqued Tom's curiosity, ratcheting his suspicions, which he kept to himself. The kitchen revealed cabinets devoid of the usual accoutrements. The counter simply too clean. No toaster, no crumbs, no jars of sugar or flour, or the requisite salt and pepper shaker. Just one solitary cappuccino maker, which stood out in the shabby dwelling. Tom took a double take as his internal compass told him something was awfully wrong. He had seen homes like this before, somewhere, sometime. It was in the 60s when he saw footage akin to what he was seeing now. A house made to look like a house, any house, any home in the U.S. A living room, sparsely furnished. A kitchen, too lackluster, but antiseptic in cleanliness. The lack of personal effects that signals staged. Signals staged. Then a bomb explodes nearby, decimating the house in the melee of dust. Tom knew as he observed the man fumble around the kitchen with an awkwardness that the man didn't live there. He was there this nice spring day with a man who was pretending to be something he wasn't. Tom realized that his precaution to bring Chuck along, another investigator and family friend, was a smart move, even perhaps a necessary one. In frustration, Daniel brought out the only mug he could find, and Tom raised his hand to refuse, wondering if it was wise to drink anything in the house. I think I'll pass. I've had enough coffee. Daniel sighed, placed the mug down, shut off the grinder, and strode past Tom and Chuck, heading for a set of stairs. At the top step, he turned. Follow me, please. Chuck signaled to Tom, and he strode up the steps with Chuck in the rear. Tom found himself in a small bedroom, decidedly masculine. A dresser stood with a monitor, which the man flicked on. He proceeded to place the DVD into the machine beneath it, and the video came to life. A daytime shot of something massive about 20 feet above the viewer. It appeared as if the camera was looking up at the underbelly of something round and metallic. Behind the edge of the craft was a daytime sky. The underbelly of the ship seemed perfectly lighted. Daniel looked at Tom and Chuck, watching. Tom suspected her reaction. Take it outside this window, Dan adds. Tom swiveled his body towards the sole window in the room as Chuck approached the window. Tom followed, looking out. Trees swayed to a spring breeze, the branches almost reaching the roof of the canopy of leaves, obscuring the sky. The trees appeared to envelope the backyard, lending shade to the sparse grass below. Tom was speechless as he wrestled to determine how it was possible to take a video of a ship with the backdrop of an open sky without branches or leaves. He also wondered with shocking clarity how the underbelly of the craft appeared to be devoid of shadow if the sky was bright. As a security technician, Tom knew the bottom of the craft should be dark, too dark, to show any detail against the background of a bright sky. Someone had eliminated the underbelly of the ship to show details. Someone was prepared to video the ship. And the ship, as Daniel called it, was not filmed in that backyard. Devoid of trees and coupled with a glaring sun, the video had to have been taken somewhere out in the desert. How did you take the video through all those leaves? The man's excitement rapidly faded like a child caught in the act of shoplifting a piece of candy. It wasn't easy. I bet it wasn't. He never saw Daniel again. 
The New York Society of Paranormal Investigators was a small team. It was Tom, his son Tim, and Chuck. Then another man, Ron, entered the arena unexpectedly. Ron was from a neighboring town. Despite the bizarre rendezvous with Daniel and the visit to a remote house the man called his own this time, Tom took a risk and went alone to meet with Ron. Not to a coffee house, but to a local diner he knew well and refrained from ordering coffee. Tom sat across from Ron, who guzzled at a large iced tea, iced lemonade, as Tom ordered the iced tea. Tall, stocky, sporting a golden doodle tattoo on one arm and a pyramid with, with an eye in the center, the other. The man's dark beard went down, pointing to his chest. Tom noted an ivory crucifix hanging from a silver chain between the hairs of Ron's thick chest, trapped in a white t-shirt, one size too small. The air in the diner was stuffy from the heat, and perspiration had accumulated around the crucifix. Ron met up with Tom after a long chat on Messenger, a Facebook app. They picked the late Sunday afternoon after Tom became fascinated and reached out to the forum, the forum that, according to its members, meant to meditate as a group to summon UFOs, flying saucers. Ron claimed he was an active member on this forum, a self-styled hippie of sorts, born on Halloween, and presented like a biker. Everyone didn't, everyone didn't ride a bike. Except, I'm sorry, except he didn't ride a bike. What's going on with me today? He was into meditation, energy movement, and Reiki healing. He was also into summoning UFOs and UAPs, as they're called now, in order to witness them for himself. This, he explained to Tom, could be done with the combined concentration and collective strength of intention of the group meditation. The group from Facebook, he explained, was a medley of people who scheduled online meditations and sometimes time pending, time pending, to meet live where members lived close enough. Tom couldn't believe it. Here was a crew of UFO buffs summoning a sighting at will. Ron invited Tom to join him for an in-person session across the state lines in neighboring Salisbury, Connecticut, at the home of a retired university professor. It was the next live meeting point. How do you decide on logistics? Ron paused. You mean where? Who's home? No, as in who or what type of entity you're summoning. Oh, Ron was taken aback. Silence. I'm asking because when you meditate, you can also summon other types of beings. Ron chuckled. Oh, right, you're a ghosty. Tom grinned, then turned serious. I am, but that's not what I... That's awesome. I was always curious about that, too. My son and I are in the paranormal, in the paranormal group. Ron paused, tapping his finger on his bearded chin. I see what you mean. So, how can you tell you're not summoning entities? Or for that matter, what kind of alien? There are many types out there. Some are bad ones, Tom prompted. Well, we sort of focus on the obvious. We think about saucers, aliens, you know. E.T., said Ron. Okay. The simplistic reply didn't impress Tom. At least we hope that's what we're summoning. That's what we're, that's what we're summoning, Ron laughed nervously. One lazy eye headed down. You never know what you're summoning, you know, Tom cautioned. Like when you guys use an Ouija board. We try not to. Ron looked away, then looked back with a studied boldness. Hey, I'd be interested in seeing activity, like paranormal activity, a haunted spot. Sure, we meet every few weeks to decide where to go next. You're welcome to... Ron interrupted. You're on. How about the live session with us? 
Tom mused, looking up at the dark clouds through the diner's window, ready to burst. Let me think about that, and I'll text you. Maybe we can talk about it at the next ghosty meeting. Ron sipped his straw. He nodded. If you're serious, Tom added as he studied the man across from him. It won't hurt, right? A simple meeting? No. Has anyone ever been abducted? Not that. Now that is for the group to answer. A few weeks later, Ron unofficially signed up to join Tom in the next haunted site, meeting Tim. He was very curious, but appeared a bit perturbed. Tom observed, as Ron entered the same diner and sat next to Tim in the booth. Tim, Ron. Ron's in the UFO meditation group. Tom gave a, Tim gave a cautious smile, his eyes sur surmising quickly the biker, but not biker, who believed in energy healing. Ron extended his hand to shake. Tim felt a clammy hand take, 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 take his firm one. So, you've never been in a haunted area? Tim ventured. Um, not even a meeting about it? Ron began laughing. Tim and his team have been doing this for a while now. It's really about getting evidence to determine what kind of haunting this is. Consulting with the people who own or live there. Tim glanced at his father, nodding. Yes, exactly. Then referring to the pe then referring to people to the right place that can hopefully help. Or we get a psychic or medium to explain what can be done to stop whatever activity is there, Tom added. Ron was nodding, taking it all in, combing his beard with his fingers. We would, if you're interested, show you how we use and interpret the recordings from the equipment. Tim added, warming to the theme. So you have recorded this stuff, for real? Father and son nodded emphatically. Yes, Tom added, eyeing his son. Dad's a security and tech person. He's very suave at operating the stuff. Thanks, son. Ron wipes his hands on his jeans as he reaches for the lemonade on the table. The waitress clears her throat, her pen and pad poised in pantomime over the three men. She had been standing there for more than ten minutes. Tom stared at the laptop screen, then rubbed his eyes. The Facebook page labeled Meditation UFO was open. He typed CES on the top search box to see any relevant comments since his last visit before meeting in real time with Ron from the group. A few entries pop up. He clicks the cursor to look at some threads, mostly to reply to YouTube videos. People agreeing to a post, some with detailed comments, some choosing to hit like whatever that means, Tom mutters to himself. The group had not scheduled an online session yet. Hun, dinner's on, it was Rita's voice. Tom shuts the laptop, pulls the creaking swivel chair, that's me, right, see? We got sound effects with this one. See, see, see? It's soft leather yield, it's soft leather yielding to its movements. He looks out the window. A clear Thursday night. Coming. Rita, dressed in a light blue sweater, and slacks, turns from the oven as Tom enters the light-filled room. A large blue stove with wood-fitted cabinets embraces two sides of the bright kitchen. Above the cabinets, photographs of covered bridges peer down from the edge of the ceiling, giving the kitchen a lift and an aura of height, a pervasive sense of calm and, and, and domesticity. Domesticity. Let warmth and welcome to the room. Adjacent to the kitchen, Lamps sit on either side of a comfortable sofa, its back covered by a crochet gingham blanket facing a flat-screen TV. On a corner sat a collection of stuffed gnomes, their, their pointed hats obscuring their eyes as they sat at attention in a merry parade on wall shelves. Lights from the patio outside 
lent an aura of security to comfort the home. A steaming casserole dish fills Rita's mitten hands as she smiles warmly from across the intimate kitchen table. Rita approaches the checked tablecloth in hues of red and yellow, set for two, blue goblets and ready with a bottle of wine uncorked. Behind Tom, large windows face the patio, overlooking the field and woods behind. A large wooden picnic table sits waiting, expecting the late spring to completely thaw what remained of the snow at the edge of the grass. Two Adirondack chairs and walnut wood bracket the table where Tom has sat wet watching the night sky earlier. I hope you have an appetite, Rita grins, setting down the dish at the center of the table. A large bowl filled with salad on the right with a smaller bowl of potatoes still in their skin. Wash the butter and onions. What is it? It smells good. Beef bourguignon. Just delivered. Say it again. Three times bourguignon. <laughs> bourguignon. Bourguignon. I hope I said it right. Rita finishes laughing. <laughs> I call it the delicious dinner. Tom reaches with an arm to embrace her. Rita gives him three quick pecks. Tom pulls a chair and sits. He absolutely drops a cloth napkin as he reaches for a serving spoon. Rita sweats and swats his hand. So Rita swats his hand playfully, a hot potato on a fork in the other. Say grace first. She plunks down the steaming potato, the butter making pools on Tom's plate. Tom bows and then peers at his wife. Father, we thank thee, Rita mumbles, sitting. Tom reaches for a spoon again. Rita swats him again, preferring to serve the dish. Ow! Say grace first. She plunks down the steaming potato. Okay, we did that. Okay. Take this piece and have some mushrooms. Tom reaches for the salad. Salade, madame. Oi. Tom expertly serves the salad on his wife's plate. So, so, Tom adds, are you going to this meditation thingy? Oh, I told you about that. Rita chews, watching Tom. You did. Did I tell you about our new member, I presume? Ronnie or Ron or, yeah, Ron. Not yet. But you told me about the Facebook group you, you were looking at. And some man met up with you and the strange guy? Yeah, that's Ron. And you told and you and Tim are taking him along, maybe. Do you think he's up for it? We'll see. He's eager but green. Are you meditating with his group? Tom glanced at Rita as he ate. He paused, sat back, observing the birds flutter by the bird feeder outside the window. I've considered it only because it's near my sister's. I thought I'd visit her afterwards. You've been talking about it a lot. I thought you were primarily interested in CES reports. CE5 reports, I'm sorry. You know, deduction cases? I know I was talking about it a lot. It's been on my mind quite a bit, I admit. And I'm still looking into abduction cases. Do you trust this guy? Should you take Tim or another investigator with you? We shall see. Both Tim and Chuck will be with me on a turf we're familiar with. Unlike the last one. Unlike the last one. Okay, up to chapter eight. We're going to stop there and continue Sunday. Let me uh, ace out of here real quick. Anyway, I apologize for the technical difficulties, but uh, hopefully I can figure that out because it's never done that before, right? You know, you guys know that when I've done these phone interviews, so I'll have to figure out what the heck's going on. But thank you for being so patient. At least we got into reading the book already, and Anna Maria has some great stuff. All right. Okay, well, tomorrow, of course, is... Uh, Casual Friday, and that's Nancy Matt's Friday, so she's going to be with us to talk about getting your mojo going. Well, here, I'm going to have to read this because it's, just, it's, it's a long thing. Ah, 
common common obstacles that can block your spiritual growth. I got so much stuff going on today. Anyway, she'll be with us 6.30 p.m. Pacific, usual time. But I appreciate you guys coming, and uh, hopefully I'll see you all tomorrow. So I'm going to call it a night. So be sure to visit us at uh, Facebook, uh, Twitch, Twitter, and uh, YouTube, and I'm forgetting where I'm at, and TikTok. All right. So look us up, California Haunted TikTok. I'm, I'm Ghosty Gal on, on Instagram, all lowercase, uh, YouTube, uh, www.youtube.com forward slash California Haunted, at California Haunted Radio. And uh, Twitter, I think we're Cal Haunts or California Haunts. And, of course, Twitch is Cal Haunts. So I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Have a great rest of your evening.